Do you like to binge watch TV? Did you know you could binge listen to podcasts? Head over to electronicmediacollective.com where they have podcasts for days. You like podcasts about wrestling? They have that. Do you like podcasts about TV and film? They have that. Do you like podcasts about horror? EMC has that too. Do you like comedy? Do you like books? Guess what? They've got you covered. Head over to electronicmediacollective.com Pick your favorite podcast today. Head over to Eddie and the Star Cruisers on Facebook. We're a collective of independent creators with the perfect gifts for the holidays. We have movies, music, comics, art, podcasts, wrestling, and crafts. This holiday season, head to Eddie and the Star Cruisers on Facebook, where the perfect gift can be found for just about anybody. This is Sandy Johnson from the original Halloween, and I'm speaking with Paul on Monster Mash. First day of Christmas, Moose brought to me Sandy Johnson as Judith Myers, star of Halloween. Happy holidays, horror hounds, and welcome to Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. My gift for you today is a gift of Halloween. That's right, folks. From starting out as a model to becoming a horror icon, I give to you Judith Myers herself, the lovely Miss Sandy Johnson. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. So how's life treating you? Life is uh, treating me very well. I'm staying healthy and busy, and um, job opportunities are coming up, so life is good. <laughs> That's all you can ask for, right? Stay alive, That's stay it. busy. So you started out as a model. Was acting ever in your Sightline, or was it just modeling was where you were going and acting just kind of came along? I kind of was into all of things related to drama. I was in uh, drama in middle school, high school, college. I was in dance and dance production, choreography also throughout those time periods. I started modeling when I was probably around 12 I was doing clothes and, you know, things like that, uh, runway modeling, doing beauty contests. So they were kind of all in there. I say it, it, I mean, it does kind of fit. It's all central to being some, you know, putting on a character. 
Because, right. I mean, as a model, you're not up there as yourself. You're, well, I mean, unless you're burying yourself. You're, you're, you're showing the clothes and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I, I could see the connection. In your modeling career, you had a Playboy shoot. How did that go over with the family? I mean, I've, I've always wondered how that sits with, like, family members and things when people do uh, Playboy shoots. Yeah, well, I got mixed messages. My mother was probably the most pleased. She was uh, always my fan, really, no matter what I did. She just, she was great. I loved her dearly, and she loved me and always supported me in whatever made me happy. My father was very conservative and would not have liked it, but actually the reason why I did it was for him. He didn't know that, but he was sick with cancer, and I actually did Playboy uh, to make some money to help with his medicines. Whoa. So even though he didn't know and probably wouldn't have proved, I, I actually did it for him. And then I have uh, four sisters, and some were pro and some were con, so <laughs> all different. The joys of growing up Midwest, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that that's really cool. It's, you hear about a lot of people doing Playboy, but you never really get to hear the reasons why. And, I mean, if you're going to do Playboy, that's, that's a hell of a reason. I mean, you know, raise money, you know, help out with bills. And it's it still is top echelon of you know, the uh, modeling game. So, I mean, hey, if you got it, flaunt it, you know? <laughs> I was I was lucky. Um, Playboy, I don't know about now, but uh, back then they had fabulous photographies, uh, photographers, beautiful sets. It was just, it was, it was really so beautifully done. So I was happy uh, to be involved with such a great organization. They were very good to me. I had a lot of fun, and uh, I got uh, to work with really fabulously talented people. So I was grateful for a lot of things. I say, and let me say, you have aged wonderfully because you are still a knockout. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So how did, how did we get to Judith Myers? Uh, was it an open casting call, or had you gotten an agent at that point? Or, like, what was the process for switching into that realm? I was with the Playboy agency. I did a lot of other modeling for them, some international things that required nudity, even though they were just furniture things. They still were a lot more liberal than the U.S. was even back then. So I was, I was still working for Playboy. Um, they sent me out on movie things. I uh, had already done a couple films for them. And then I got uh, a call from the agency that said I was to go to an interview for a, a horror film, uh, then called, I think, The Babysitter Killer or Murders or something. Yeah. And so I, um, I went to that interview and... Uh, it was a, it was an interview with just me in the room other than several people interviewing me, but it was not a cattle call. And they had me read some different lines, different parts. They had me scream. 
which was kind of weird because it was just in a neighborhood house. It wasn't on a, in, a hotel, in a set or anything. So it was kind of, I just kind of wondered what the neighbors were thinking when I was doing it. But anyway, it went fine. And uh, I left and went home. And I think probably the next day or so, I got a call from the agency and they said that I had been uh, been cast as Judith Myers. So I was very happy. That's awesome. Because, I mean, you hear a lot about, especially in horror movies, It's you, you always hear about the final survivor and, you know, the final girl treatment and everything like that. But you had an equally important role. You were the first victim of Michael Myers. Your character really set him on his path of, you know, destruction. So, I mean, without that initial kill i don't think there would have been you know the michael myers that everyone knows today so that's that's pretty damn important i mean that that's fucking awesome (laughs) (laughs) well it's kind of interesting that um michael was still just a young child and so you're not you don't just see him for the first time as as an adult so you actually have, you know, that initial episode when he's young and he's already nuts, basically. Yeah. You know? I mean, he's already not normal. And so it's and then there's this, you know, the sister, which is uh, usually an endearing person, um, not normally something that a little brother, you know, stabs to death. So I think that whole scenario is just kind of different and then transitions from there to an adult, which I think has kind of a different impact than if you just saw him as an adult first. Oh yeah. It, it definitely gives that mindset of where he was coming from. Cause I mean, when you go back and watch it, I, I tend to think that if he would have gotten more attention as a kid, you know, if his sister was more endearing if he wasn't the outcast loner type, he might not have gone down the path he went. I mean, he's still a weird kid, but he might not have gone down the serial killer path. It's it's a very um, interesting way to look at things to where w- when you leave something alone long enough just to see how it reacts to life, and, and we got Michael Myers. Right. And as parents or adults, we always wonder uh, when people grow up to be monsters, we can't help but wonder, you know, where that started. Could it have been prevented? Might have things turned out differently, like you said, if life had been different for him as a child. So, yeah, there, it, it creates a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. What was uh, life on the set like? Because, I mean, you, you weren't really clothed for part of it. So what what, uh, what was filming like? Um, the set was pretty chaotic because they were still trying to get the house ready um, because it started out in its original state, which was a total wreck, which it is in earlier parts of the film. And then for my scene, which is the first scene in the movie, but one of the last scenes filmed, they had to fix the house up and make it look lived in and stuff. So they were still busy doing things to the parts of the house that would show. So the, the crew were busy. The um, 
the people running through the scenes and the and the camera crew and stuff, they were busy trying to figure out how to make this long, complicated shot work and to keep everybody out of view that they didn't want in view and to just make everything flow. So it was complicated for being such a long shot for sure. So it was sort of intense in that way. We did quite a few run-throughs before filming um, so that we could see exactly what uh, John and Deborah wanted from us and with the, you know, the staging of who was going to be where and all that. As far as the scene upstairs, uh, that was a little creepy. It was dark. It was... Um, not a lot of people, which was probably a good thing, but there wasn't room. It was not a big room. So in order to, uh, you know, get just who absolutely needed to be in there. Um, so luckily there, it was not a room full of people, just a few people. So it was fine. And of course I was focused on what I needed to be doing. Well, say, and yeah, like, like you said, the lack of, I'd imagine it would have felt a lot different had it been on a soundstage where there would have been room for, you know, all the grips and the ADs and everybody. But, you know, when you're filming in a house, you're looking at maybe, I mean, you're, you're bare minimum guys. You got your camera guy, your sound guy, and the actors and the director. That's so it, it, I think you were lucky in that you got to have that intimate setting that a lot of actresses don't get for that type of scene. Right. That's true. Now, I'm not going to ask if you thought you were going to be a horror icon because that's no one knew what the <laughs> hell that movie was going to do. But what's it like all these years later, you know, having people come up to you and be like, Oh, you're, you're Judith Myers. You're at, at the time that had to have just been, okay, this is a movie I'm doing. This is great. But now you're, you know, you're in the annals of like horror history and specifically the Michael Myers and Halloween lore. And you have a very cemented place in that uh, franchise. And, it's it's going strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, unlike most people in the movie industry, I actually left that industry. I got married, moved to Oregon, and became a teacher, went on and carried on with life, totally left Hollywood behind, didn't follow anything, seldom went to the movies. I was way too busy teaching kids with special needs, um, just dealing with my own children. And then 40 years later, you know, I get um, contacted by an agent who um, says he's been looking for me for eight to 10 years. <laughs> and then so are a lot of other people. And I'm just saying, go, what for? And uh, this is when I find out that my role is iconic and that Halloween is a huge film. And, and so it, unlike other people who kind of grow into this, I was just kind of injected into it. And, um, I mean, it was 
big news, <laughs> but uh, it was, I mean, it was exciting. Of course, I'm very happy that all of this has happened and that now I get to be um, a part of it. It's great. And the, the fans have taken me in and I love them and, um, you know, being a part of the, the franchises, it's awesome. I feel like I've always been here, but, but I haven't. <laughs> I've always been here, but I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> yes, I didn't know I was here. Um, so why the shift to teaching? It, it seems like a hard, like, left. Yeah, I actually, when I, uh, when I lost my dad, and then soon after that, I lost my mother, and I was very depressed. I was very close to both of my parents. I was just really depressed. And so I got married and we just decided to move away and, uh, yeah, just change things. So we moved out in the woods in Oregon and uh, my first husband was a musician. So, and I used to sing some, so we just did that for a while. Uh, it did not work out. He was um, addicted to both alcohol and drugs after mm. a while. And... I just wasn't really what I wanted. So I uh, I was divorced and moved to Texas where my sisters were since I had no family left. You know, in California, there was really nothing to hold me there. I had friends, but, you know, I, I needed family. I so no strong roots to hold you down. Right. So I, I came back to Texas. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I actually went to a college and I took a, um, uh, it was like a evaluation for occupation, good match for your personality and your interests and stuff. And the number one thing that came out of it was teacher. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, so that's what I did. I went to school and uh, I actually did love it. And I uh, was a science teacher and I taught special needs kids, and I loved it, and I did that for a long time. And then I was remarried and had several different types of jobs in education. So, yeah, that's where it went and why. It's actually really interesting. I mean, it's like, – and just like I said, on the surface, it's, it sounded like such a hard left from, okay, I'm model, I'm actor, let's go teacher. But then, yeah, when you break it down, it, you know, it, it, it is a nice, refreshing way to start over. And, you know, it's – Especially helping with special needs kids and things like that. That's that's very, I don't want to say special. There were actually more parallels than you would think. Because I was working with special needs kids, um, many of which were very, very bright. They were just, they just learned differently. Yeah. And so I needed to do, or I felt that I needed to do things big. So I would often role play. I would dress up like a scientist or uh, famous people in history. I encouraged them to dress up. You know, we did a lot of making big things in class. We did skits. I wrote things for them to act out for the school that related to the, the science class and stuff. So I really used a lot of those skills in my teaching. And it, it turned out to be very effective. Um, we're helping them learn. So yeah, it was kind of it was kind of a weird take to use those skills as a teacher, but it, it actually it worked. So my oldest is a special needs, and 
I, I completely get what you're saying because you have to find a way to connect and help these subjects stick. And a lot of times, you know, like you said, acting it out or role-playing it or just making it memorable and not just, okay, these are the periodic elements. This is what you have to learn. That's not going to stick with them. The memory of the event sticks and the knowledge locks in with it. Congratulations. That's, uh, I'd imagine you had a lot of success with reaching those kids. I did. And I, I loved them all. And as trying as it was at times, um, it was so worth it. And there's still a, a lot of those kids that are, of course, now they're adults with their own kids. And every once in a while they reach out. I had one reach out about six months ago that actually got a hold of me and said he really needed to have lunch with me. So I went and I met him for lunch. And it was funny. He, he obviously is adult now, but he looks so much like he did when he was in middle school and stuff. He was absolutely charming. And he, he wrote me this beautiful letter and told me that of all the teachers he ever had, I was his favorite because I allowed him to ask questions freely, as many as he wanted, and that I took the time to answer those questions and to demonstrate and show. And he had never had a teacher ever again do that for him and that it had made all the difference in his adult life. Now he has his own company. He's done a bunch of creative things. And he said, if it hadn't been for the way I had taught him and allowed him to be himself, that he would have never done any of those things. So it's stories like that that tell me it was right. It was the thing to do. That case specifically, it's such a simple, you know, thing. Let the child ask questions. If I mean, you're, you're taught if you don't know, ask for help. But at the same right. time, you're also taught... Don't ask for too much help because then you're annoying. You know, right. So as a student, you always had to find that fine line of, well, okay, am I asking for too much? But you, you, you seem to have, I mean, you definitely made a difference in this young man's life. And it, it goes back to what we were talking about with uh, young Michael. Had somebody taken the time with that character would his life, you know, gone a different route? You know, that, 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 that's all it comes down to at the end of the day is take time spent, you know, give people the time of day, treat them like people and not just, Oh, I'm here. You're there. How you doing? You know? Right. Cause it's, it's the little things like, like you just pointed out that make the world world a difference. All you did was let him ask questions. That's all he needed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knew? I had no idea uh, that no one else was letting him ask questions. I mean, that's really sad. It's pathetic, actually. Yeah, it's, but, It seems like such an asinine thought that, you know, he's he, he couldn't ask questions in classes to get what he needed done. And that the the game changer for him was that you were like, yeah, you know, you got questions, ask away, feel free. That's what I'm here for, which right. somehow 
as a people, we have gotten away from that. And we need to get back to that. And I, I think the world would be a much happier place. Yeah, I agree. Do any of your students recognize that you were uh, in the movie? Or... No. Wow, that's impressive, because I don't think that'd fly today, because I'm, I'm almost positive today it'd be like, oh, that's her, you know? <laughs> yeah, today it would probably be different, because I've been on a lot of podcasts and shows and things, so that would be different, but... Um... They didn't then. They were just focused on coming to school and class. Coming to class and apparently getting the best experience of their life. <laughs> so you seem to be that, that, that teacher that really wanted the best for their students and obviously, like I said, made a difference in their lives. And from the student aspect... That's hard to find, finding that one teacher that you really connect with. And that's a game changer when you do. So yes. for you to be that for so many kids, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how many of them have reached out to you, but I can guarantee you they appreciate everything that you have done for them and did for them in class and helped them through. I mean, it's a two-way street. They gave me a lot. They gave me a lot too. That's good. I mean, it, it's that that makes for a better experience when you know the teacher and the students are all cohesive together, and it, it's an all-around learning environment, not just I'm teacher, your student, do what I say. It's funny. Everything I read about you, I did not know you were a teacher. <laughs> that was the only. I, you know, could not find that. So I'm actually really glad that came up. This was a this was a fun discovery on my end. Like and cool. see we scheduled this what two months ago. So I've had months to research this and <laughs> no clue you were a teacher. <laughs> I actually taught I've taught everything from kindergarten through um graduate level college. Oh good lord. And I've actually even beyond that, I've actually train senior citizens how to use a computer. <laughs> so I've, I've kind of done the whole gamut. <laughs> yeah, you, you got bit by that teaching bug and just went off. I mean, that's great. Uh, do you have any uh, desires to get back into acting, or is that a chapter that's pretty much closed in your life? Uh, no, actually, I'm, uh, I'm taking weekly acting lessons virtually. And I, in fact, next week, I was working on a script this morning. I'm doing a virtual part in a film. It's a Hungarian uh, horror film. It's called Volps, The Lust for Revenge. It's actually a very interesting story about getting revenge on people who uh, do cruelty to animals. And it's about someone taking revenge on those people for doing that. And so I have a part uh, as a mother, uh, just a cameo. But I saw the prologue for it and just thought it was excellent. The acting, the cinematography, everything, I really liked it. So I agreed to do a cameo for the next episode. So I'll be shooting that next week. 
I also have a film I'm going to be doing in the UK when COVID goes away. And again, it's another horror film. Its uh, working title is Jim Creeps. Jim as in a place to work out, Creeps. And I have a bigger role in that, so I'm excited uh, for that one. And I have some other people who've mentioned using me in some things, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So I guess that begs the question, were you a horror fan before Halloween, or is it just something that's kind of naturally progressed since your role in uh, Halloween? Uh, no, I was always a horror fan. My uh, Usually at slumber parties and things when I was young, I mean, that's what we did. We, <laughs> we put on scary movies and got all huddled up together and screamed, and, you know, the parents would come down and tell us to hush and all of that. <laughs> Go but, to bed. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah yeah so no i i did always like horror movies still do do you remember what was the first horror movie you ever watched like the one that really locked you into all right i can really dig into this i don't know if it was the first one that locked me in but the first one i remember was at a drive-in in oklahoma i was about seven my dad and older sister were in the front seat, and it was the blob. Oh, God. And I was terrified. It was pouring rain and thundering the lightning, and I remember being in the back seat with just my eyes looking over the, the thing at the screen, and I was terrified. Um, so that's the first one I actually remember that left an impression was the blob. And then I would say the next one that I remember the best is probably, probably The Exorcist. Ooh. That one really freaked me out. So you definitely locked in at a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one that when I turned my garbage disposal on for the first time when I got home, I screamed because it sounded to me like the devil in that movie when the devil's talking. Oh, no. There was something about that gurgling, awful sound, and I really... I turned off the garbage disposal and I really couldn't use it for a while. <laughs> it just totally freaked me out. It sounded like the devil talking. Well, I mean, by then they'd really nailed down the science of the sounds in movies and started, you know, piling different sounds on top of everything to just to make sounds. At that point, they were starting to take things that people were afraid of, like bees and things like that, to really drive home the fear. So the the fact that the, the garbage disposal tripped the memory as well as it did means they did a really good job. <laughs> they did. Yeah, it was totally unexpected. It just, boom, it just came out at me and I just, <laughs> just turned it off. God. That's great. And then, I mean, the blob, that's such a, on its surface, it's such a weird premise for a horror movie. But as a kid, hell, even as an adult sometimes, it's still relatively scary because, I mean, you just get this, like, all-encompassing thing that just eats everything in its path. It, it doesn't look scary. It doesn't, you know, it's not like it's, you know, it, it's not Freddy. It's not Jason. It's not, you know, it's not a slasher movie. It's just this big, well, blob of goo 
that just destroys everything. I remember the first time I played with it, played with it, sorry, first time I watched it, um, Play-Doh, I did not want to touch Play-Doh for like a week and a half, because like you dumped it out and you're just like, uh-uh, no, 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 put that back in the tube, that, that, that's going over there, you know? So, again, it was one of those, it's like, they, they managed to find that lock that's like, okay, we can bring this into the real world, and it worked. So, two really good choices. I mean, if you're going to get locked into horror, those are two really good ones to remember off the top. So, we talked about projects you have coming up. What are you doing to stay busy during, uh, well, until COVID disappears? And you can actually go out and live life again. Oh, I've been doing a lot of organizing, um, trying to get rid of stuff that I don't use, take stuff to Salvation Army, <laughs> just uh, organizing files in my computer, just um, things just, like that. Just staying busy. Yes. At the end of the day, be- it's like, well, I did this yesterday. I'll do it again today. there's a lot to do I've been collecting stuff for way too many years that I don't need well sign it and auction it off for charity right well giving it to Salvation Army and Goodwill that allows people to uh, buy it for not very much true especially this time of year yes when it's needed the most especially after the year we've had yes been a rough it, it has been a very rough year Looking forward to. Uh, I'm not a very optimistic person, but I'm I'm hoping next year is much better. Yeah, it'd be hard to be much worse. True. <laughs> As I say that you'd be scraping the bottom of the barrel to be worse than uh, this year. So, yeah. where can uh, fans follow you to keep up with uh, like stuff you're working on, or just pop in, say hi, things like that. Um, there's a few places they can find me on Instagram at Unicorn Sandy J. They can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash the real Sandy Johnson. Or they can go to my website, which is www.unicornsandyj.com. And on there, they can get autographed photos. They can uh, send in a poster or something they want uh, signed. Um, and then I have some other things for sale. They can also watch my podcasts on there. Uh, any articles that have been written about me, they can read. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, ways they can reach out. I try and be as interactive as possible um, You know, on social media. Right now, I'm actually kind of busy getting ready for Christmas and stuff, but uh, I'm still on as much as I can be. Uh, one other thing, since sometimes people ask why unicorn, um, it's not that I'm a big unicorn fan. It's that my agent, uh, Rick and Reek, whenever he finally found me, he said to me, you are my unicorn. You're my mythical creature that I've been <laughs> looking for forever. You didn't know if you existed. So... Unicorn comes from my agent. That's what he called me, and I thought that was funny. 
So that's where Unicorn Sandy J comes from. Not my love of mythical animals. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, you know where to find her, and all the links will be in the episode description for easy uh, access. You could find me over on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. or alongside other great podcasters at electronicmediacollective.com. And Sandy, this has been fantastic. I'm really glad we were able to get this scheduled. And I was super excited when I, you know, found you on Facebook. I was like, oh, God, I got to do this. You know, it was one of those uh, just, okay, definitely have to get this accomplished interviews. And I'm really glad we were able to get this scheduled and it's been very informative well so thank you so much for inviting me it's been delightful talking to you and hopefully we'll do it again sometime oh yeah uh, say when those other projects come out we'll uh get you back on we'll promote those some more and definitely have a, a, a longer chat and cool. help promote the new projects and uh get your acting out there again i'm looking forward to it so once again, thanks for coming on and spending the time with me. And until next time, horror hounds, mash on. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and you don't lose that spirit. Come back tomorrow for another of Moose's 13 horrifying days of Christmas. Or Krampus will come for your soul. <laughs>